Welcome to Energy Radio, a podcast by CEM Engineering. Welcome to episode 24 of Energy Radio. Today I'm joined by Emily Thorne, President and CEO of Thorne Associates. Uh, my name is Matt Lensink, and we're glad to have you today. And uh, Emily, we're really glad to have you with us this morning. Um, thank you for carving out time in this very strange uh, season in which we are uh, placed, but thank you for carving out some time to chat with us about energy, energy management, and, and your view on the whole picture. So welcome. Thank you, my pleasure. Yeah, maybe just, I have a, a, a summary of, of you here, but uh, I would rather hear it from you. So can you kind of just, for those who uh, don't know you, and that includes me, we're meeting for the first time. So um, walk us through, you have quite a career here. Um, so maybe if you can give us the, uh, the Coles notes of where you've been and what brings you to the energy space, really. Sure. Yeah, happy to. Uh, so I guess I have about 18 years or so uh, in the energy field. Basically, my whole uh, career has been in energy apart from a short co-op stints in telecom uh, software and manufacturing. Um, so yeah, I have really uh, had the pleasure of getting into energy uh, field through the fuel cell um, technology, actually, oh. really early on. So um Became uh, did a, my fourth year engineering project in uh, fuel cells from a Globe and Mail article actually about them, and I was immediately hooked. Spent five years, my first five years of the career in fuel cells, and then transitioned over a bit more broadly to energy management. Joined Hatch, the uh, large engineering uh, consulting firm. So spent uh, almost a decade uh, at Hatch, uh, working my way up to uh, director of energy optimization and management. So always in the energy management and carbon uh, management space. And then about two and a half years ago, uh, joined uh, my, I guess, uh, ancestors or my, my grandparents in the entrepreneurial uh, desire. And so both sets of grandparents uh, ran successful businesses that uh, exist in, uh, still today. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, um, created Thorne Associates uh, that uh, basically is focused on industrial uh, energy and carbon management. And then do a few other things on the side, uh, like to keep a few hats going. So also uh, became involved with the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers about uh, four or five years ago, served on their board for three years and continue on as chair of their energy task force. And uh, also like to um, do uh, some uh, teaching. So teach a few weeks a year with the um, Canadian Institute for Energy Training. Mm -hmm. And finally uh, on the nonprofit side, uh, started Step Up, and I think we might talk about that a bit more uh, later, but uh, Design for Breakthrough in Energy Management through uh, Gender Equity. Cool. Wow. There's uh, so many places we can go. This is exciting. Um, so you're, let's talk a bit about uh, Thorne Associates. Do you have a, um, a client market that you focus on, uh, services that you focus on? Talk to us a bit more about the firm that you run. Yes, absolutely. So our target uh, clients are mainly industrial, so uh, mining, metals, uh, manufacturing, and then actually, interestingly enough, uh, more recently as well, universities. So most people might think university, what does that have to do with industrial? But actually, if you think of it, um, universities spend lots on energy, so you know, tens of uh, millions of dollars easily. And um, they also have a lot of large industrial equipment. If they have, a, bit, a lot of them have their own um, co uh, generation facilities, uh, distributed generation, sometimes district energy systems. And so they'll have, you know, large boilers, large chillers, some compressors. They'll have, um, you know, co-generation equipment. So they don't have the process um, equipment like industrial do, but actually they're quite similar. So yeah, in terms of clients, those are, uh, mainly industrial and uh, universities that we serve. And then also in terms of um, services, do kind of um, some traditional energy management like energy audits, um, energy management information system consulting, so with the software and hardware uh, selection and that kind of thing, studies, engineering, feasibility studies, and then some of the more innovative um, in terms of energy design reviews, which are for um, new facilities, kind of like lead for industrial or incorporating energy efficiency in design. Um, but on the industrial side, which is typically getting more, more neglected than the commercial um, side, and uh, also working to incorporate some innovative technologies like doing uh, full electrification underground for mining clients, which has other benefits like health, et cetera. So cool. um, those are, oh, and then measure, measurement of verification of energy savings as well, and then doing some strategy work too. So we're getting more requests on 
uh, from our clients in terms of uh, you know low carbon reduction roadmaps, uh, net zero carbon strategies, that kind of thing. Cool. So and and it's services like you're providing services as opposed to you know I think sometimes when we talk about energy management, you hear you know the, the ESCOs of the world, the Johnson Controls, the Honeywell, the, or, or you know, I think some engineering companies kind of broaden into an EPC type execution, but for you, it's it's pri it's primarily consulting and engineering services. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and with a focus on industrial and large institutional, really, is your uh, your bailiwick, right? And yes, um, exactly. And how big does the envelope? I think you know, and there's there's some overlap. Um, you know, in terms of what we have done in the past and what you guys are doing, and, and that's that's exciting. There's lots here to talk about, um, but it, I think we often focus on, you know, from our perspective as, as thermal power uh, individuals, we focus on, you know, kilowatt hours and G, and and uh, you know MMBTUs of, of gas, for example. But you know, there are other firms who focus on, you know, the water side. But now we've broadened it to um, you know the carb the carbon is, is a key part of it how how do you, what is your approach in terms of you know how big your envelope of investigation is uh, when you're serving these types of clients yeah great question um we try and go as big as our clients will let us and will pay us because uh we think that an integrated approach is is the most beneficial for our clients so including water including carbon including future like not just sort of one price of carbon but looking at uh, sensitivity analysis and potential escalation and that kind of thing, that more holistic look as well. Um, looking at any other fuels, not just electricity, natural gas, but I mean, if you're in the steel sector, for example, there's um, blast furnace gas, but you know, looking at off gases, there's a whole bunch of others. Uh, you, you might have diesel, propane in, in other situations. So um, really trying to be as, as comprehensive as possible because we think that that's uh, critical. Unless if it's something that, you know, is, is maybe representing um, only one or two percent of their entire energy costs and in those situations we might neglect it but um, we try and be holistic. Do you feel like in the energy management space, I, I, this is my opinion, that I think energy management gets um, sometimes forgotten because it's not as kind of, to use a bad term, but it's not as sexy as renewables or even cogen, um, but our philosophy has always been, you know, start at the point of use from an energy perspective, start at the point of use and kind of move backwards. I, I think some people get and, and we, you know, we're probably not lily white either in terms of, you know, starting. We start sometimes on the generation side, maybe kind of walk us through your philosophy in terms of the importance of energy management as it fits into a broader you know, energy strategy. Sure, definitely, and glad to hear, and I, I know CM Engineering uh, does have that en energy management route, so it's great that, that you uh, get that, because for sure some generation companies uh, don't understand that really um, you should start in your energy strategy with looking at, at energy management. So I start with that, that quote of the greenest kilowatt hour is the one you do not consume, mm -hmm. and for those readers who haven't heard, I'll say that again, the greenest kilowatt hour is the one you do not consume. So that's actually saying that energy management, aka um, you know, reducing your energy consumption as much as possible, is what really should be the the initial focus. So it's still wasteful to have an oversized renewable facility, and that doesn't really get uh, talked about much, right? Um, so you you know, you want to do as much energy management as possible upfront before uh, any generation um, upgrades, for example. So if a, a facility is considering upgrading their generation, I would encourage them you know, energy management, do a kind of blitz energy management. It should be always ongoing, realistically, but before upgrading, make sure to do any easy, low-hanging energy management first so that you correctly size, you know, your generation. So uh, I think that's that's key for sure. What would you say if you were brought into, um, you know, let's say it's a large industrial complex or it's a, you know, a big multi-building um, university campus and, there's a new director of utilities and, um, you know, she's come from maybe she's got a big promotion or she came from somewhere else and she's overwhelmed or, you know, not really knowing you know what to do um, and, and being mandated to, you know, just just fix it. Like, how, how do you kind of walk somebody through, 
you know, where do you start? What do you look at first? What's your methodology to, you know, getting one's arms around a situation like that? Yeah, definitely. Well, again, it, it depends on what you can convince the client because sometimes people will uh, be very adamant that, um, you know, this is the project that they must do first and then, you know, I'll go along with that. But if I had a carte blanche, which honestly does not happen very <laughs> often, um, clients typically have their own, uh, you know, ideas of, of what to do when you try and work in partnership with those. Um, but essentially a carte blanche uh, going back to the ISO 50001 energy management standard, so um, I used to say it was new, but it's actually not new anymore. I think it was 2011 that it came into effect in Canada. Um, I was actually involved in Canada's first pilot project for ISO 50001 with five manufacturing facilities. Um, anyways, and uh, so the ISO 50001 energy management standard uh, really provides a framework for how to manage energy just like you'd manage quality or just like you'd manage safety and so i think installing you don't have to have all the bureaucratic aspects i don't recommend necessarily that clients uh, will become certified if they want to absolutely they can go ahead but do the iso 50001 compliance sort of try and be compliant and be aware of what the best practices are and then you can decide which ones you want to follow or not um, and i think that holistic we can do like a iso 50001 gap analysis in 90 minutes and just walk through with the executive team of the of the facility and ident quickly identify gaps in, you know, is it your maintenance? Because energy management and maintenance can be tied really closely together, right? So is it your maintenance practices that are just, right. you have um, your maintenance staff who are actually trying to provide comfort and um, are therefore actually using a ton of energy and wastefully and we need to provide the appropriate incentives for the maintenance staff to balance comfort with uh, energy costs to get a proper um, balance there. Um, or is it, you know, uh, your policy and that your, your executive doesn't realize the importance I was with a client the other day and an innovation um, executive and uh, had, had told me, oh, wow, I've, I've never thought of energy management that way. They don't have an energy manager. They didn't even, I think, know that that position existed or could exist. So um, those kind of initial things and that before diving into the specific projects, of course, where you're going to save energy is by putting in projects and having people who are managing the energy actually, um, you know, changing their behavior and changing the controls of the technologies and that kind of thing. But before getting there, putting that appropriate system in place through an ISO 50001 uh, lens is, is uh, I think, the best approach. And actually, one of our clients said, um, you know, we provided a paradigm shift in how they viewed mm, energy wow. just, cool. yeah, just in those 90 minutes with their executive team. So I think that's powerful. How much of what you do on on the energy management um, file in any context, industrial, institutional, how much of it is kind of either education or mindset shift as opposed to the practical, you know, nuts and bolts of what you do? Like, is there is there a split or is there like that, that stuff has to come first, doesn't it? Uh, ideally, yes. I mean, it depends on the sophistication of the of the facility, right, and the people there. So if you have, for example, one of my clients, uh, director of energy at the facility, he's a certified energy manager, he's a professional engineer, he has a background in hands-on work, he's extremely well um, qualified. So, of course, there's continual education. Um, in that context, it's more like, hey, these are the new policies of the government that are coming up that are gonna influence your facility. Hey, these are new incentive programs. Hey, I just heard of this great new innovative technology. Those are kind of the ongoing educational, but the fundamentals generally, he already knows. So in that kind of context, um, it's more um, just sort of, yeah, the ongoing continuous improvement, but some like the other innovation person that I mentioned um, are at the beginning of their journey. And um, so, uh, there'll be more of that education component. So I think it, it does very much depend on the on the particular client and um, whether, you know, they have an energy management team that are, you know, certified energy managers or lead accredited professionals or et cetera that have some of that background or not. Yeah, and I, my, my sense too is that it, that education has to happen at multiple levels of the, you know, the, the whatever the organization because, it, and, I, and I love the analogy, people will say, well, it, it's kind of today's version of, of safety, right? It used to be that safety was not front of mind, right? And I think energy management, this is not my, I've heard this elsewhere, but I love it. You know, you, you have 
maybe at the director level, but even, you know, the individual on the floor who's still sweeping the floor with compressed air, right? You know, you, <laughs> you have to get, you know, that education has to permeate every level, I think, right? You've probably seen that too. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I and you need to have different approaches for, you know, the CEO versus director of energy versus, you know, the operator of uh, a certain piece of equipment, right? So, um, yeah, so through the training that I that I do, those are mainly for sort of energy managers. It could be maintenance managers, plant managers. Um, when we go into a C-suite, then uh, we typically um, have a different approach. And, and uh, yeah, the safety illusion, um, uh, sorry, I'll, basically is, is very um, true in the sense of for that ISO 50001 gap analysis, a lot of feedback that we get is, uh, oh, yeah, we do that for safety, um, but no, we, we don't do that for energy, right? We have a safety policy, we don't have an energy policy. Oh, yeah, again, for the for the maintenance equipment, yeah, we, um, we do have all these safety policies for each of our pieces of equipment, but oh, yeah, we didn't like optimize them for energy in terms of the setup and ongoing and et cetera. So, yeah, absolutely agree with that. You, you just made me think of something and the parallels of, you know, the safety at the macro, but the, the practicality, you know, when we begin a meeting, we often have a safety moment. We don't we don't have an energy moment. Right. We should start doing that. That might that might help, too. Um, you know, one of the other things we've seen, and I'm curious if you see this as well, that, you know, you talk about you know educating clients. But we what we love about being out in front of clients is that often it goes the other way where. You know, we stay sharp by being in front of our clients and we often learn more from them um, than, than, than they learn from us. And, you know, I think I'm curious, are you seeing that? And if so, you know, what are some of the things you see as you move around industry or, or the large institutions of, you know, what is being done right? What, you know, where are some success stories? What, you know, what, what's working? What are you learning from the industry as you go about your day? Sure, yes. Um, I guess in terms of learning from industry, it's a lot about their processes and the innovation that they're incorporating into their um, their processes that I really love about being a consultant, right? Learning about the steel process, learning about mining, learning about food manufacturing, all of that. Um, we do try and bring sort of that new energy management to, to them. Um, in terms of what they're doing uh, right, I think people are starting to understand that although electricity is uh, much more expensive, like on a, on a gigajoule basis compared to natural gas, for example, that it's important to, to look at fossil fuel reduction as well as just electricity. A lot of energy management has been focused on um, electricity reduction uh, to the point that sometimes when people talk about energy, they're actually only talking about electricity. And so, again, that holistic approach is important. So, the increased emphasis through, you know, like low carbon uh, economy fund and um, basically other funds to uh, increase fossil fuel efficiency or fossil fuel reduction are, uh, are really, really critical, I think. Um, and one of the things in Ontario specifically that I think we, and some of the other provinces in Canada, we really need to leverage is the clean grid. So, uh, you know, BC as well, that 95% clean grid is is great to uh, to leverage. And then also looking at, um, you know, when the nukes are being refurbished to avoid increasing VHGs, you know, renewable CHP, um, renewable energy and energy storage, and those kind of other options um, versus the natural gas peaking plant. So uh, looking at those, um, one of the other things I think in terms of uh, learnings is that when, mainly from the government, I think they've learned and OSPE, um, the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, um, which I represent, uh, we advocate not choosing technologies but choosing outcomes mm. so looking at okay we want this much reduction at this cost rather than saying this this is how much we're going to provide on a cents per kilowatt hour for a wind facility or for solar just saying this is what we want in terms of carbon reduction this is what we want in terms of cost or who can provide it for the lowest cost kind of thing mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple of follow-ups there you mentioned the emphasis on electricity vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, and I think part of that is is driven by the cost on a GJ basis, as you mentioned. But is there any other reason? Like, is it because the you know the the CDM program you know just got better marketing dollars than the DSM program on the gas side, or or is it just because it's more expensive? Like, what, why is there that disconnect in, in Ontario? Well, I think both of the reasons you stated are correct. There may be some others as well. So, first of all, one thing that people might not be aware of is there 
is a factor of 100 difference between the funding for electricity conservation programs in Ontario and natural gas. So there is, and the Save on Energy program is, as I'm sure you're probably aware, Matt, um, formerly Industrial Accelerator, $10 million maximum per project, and facilities are eligible for multiple projects. So up to $10 million for an electricity reduction uh, project. However, on the natural gas size, to my knowledge, it's 100,000 cap. That's a factor of 100, right? So um, of course, those two factors of electricity being more expensive and um, those incentive. And then the third reason I would say is the very um, expensive peak um, charges. So the global adjustment um, is a, another huge factor of why well, people are, for example, I'm sure your business has done very well with this CHP in terms of the global adjustment, right? A lot of people have uh, moved to um, CHP to avoid those huge millions, tens of millions of dollars in global adjustment costs in, in Ontario. And other jurisdictions don't have an exact global adjustment, but have some other, um, you know, demand, significant demand charges as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, if you look at the market, you know, on that particular topic of global adjustment, it's a little from an energy management lens it's the, the market signals are driving us away from what the right choice is right you, you know it's driving it's driving behavior towards inefficient simple cycle generation um because that's where the money is but really you know we should probably be doing something different but it, you know at the end of the day our energy management stuff has to play in the world of economics and ideally the two line up but sometimes they're at a conflict right so um, it, it's, it's, it's on one hand, it's the right thing to do because it helps the industrial or the institutional, you know, put money back in their operating, you know, uh, lines and, and they can continue to make products. So we have to be pragmatic about that. But, you know, part of me says, you know, we're doing a lot of inefficient things sometimes, uh, to, to chase that big carrot, so to speak. Right. Um, one thing that, and this is off script, but I've had some discussions with, um, you know, folks like ex Enbridge folks, like, I don't know if you know, Tim Short or Dave Tykrobe and folks of that ilk. And um, we've had this discussion about, do we need to uh, normalize the way we look at energy? And so, you know, on one hand you have, you know, electricity that you're buying cents per kilowatt hour, whereas you have, you know, natural gas that you might be buying dollars per GJ. And one is is you know four or five bucks. The other one is a, a couple cents. Like, and then what you also don't have is you you don't have the um, the carbon accounting built into that as well. Like, do you think that having a better um, a representative apples to apples comparison would would help a lot of what you're you know trying to drive forward in industrial settings? Yeah, that's, that's actually a great idea, and I um, I consider raising it with uh, my energy task force at the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers in terms of communicating to the public uh, in particular, right? Uh, and maybe right. is it a dollar per gigajoule? That because of course in energy experts, we in our reports and stuff will sometimes you know convert electricity in terms of kilowatt hours into gigajoules to make those apple to apple comparisons. But the general public has no clue, to be honest, right? In terms of that, so you're right. That could be something that. Uh, would be quite important. So, and also the carbon piece, um, because it was buried, right, um, in terms of in delivery. Uh, so, uh, bringing that out and transparently showing that cost would be important as well. Yeah, one of the things that you know, there's a lot of talk around electrification, and there's a lot of talk about you know everything being electric, and you know there are barriers to that as well. But one of the cases that is is being made is you can. You know, you take a, a unit of electricity, and it's in Ontario predominantly green. Um, and you can, you, but you can also bring a unit of energy to the gate of the industrial that's green in the form of natural gas molecules. You know, it could be renewable natural gas, and it looks really expensive in comparison to a similar unit of, um, you know, fossil-based natural gas. It's it's very pricey. But if you put it against that unit of energy in electricity. It's still cost effective, but right now we don't have that apples to apples, and so it's getting lost in the whole comparison. When we have a massive, you know, natural gas infrastructure that, um, you know, could support the greening of everything we do, maybe not the electrification of everything we do. So, anyways, there's a there's a I, it, we were talking about it wasn't on script, but it's a I think it's something that kind of works 
kind of the apples to apples, uh, you know, unit analysis and making sure it's a it's an all in uh, analysis. The other thing that has to fit in there is not only you know the carbon impact and the same units of measure, but the third one is uh, distribution cost, right? So if you have to build more uh, infrastructure. Um, on the electricity side to get it there, that cost is to be factored in versus the existing natural gas. Anyways, this podcast is not about listening to me. It's about listening to our guests. So um, are there are there clients out there that you're serving, you know, that you maybe can talk about that you you say, hey, they're 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 doing some really great stuff. Um, you know, maybe you can give us example of some projects that they're working on. You know, who are those that you feel are really leading us forward uh, in this environment? Sure. Um, from a confidentiality perspective, uh, I can't give away really names of, of some of the clients that I'm working with, but I can talk a bit about the projects. Um, so as I mentioned, in terms of mining electrification, I think that's extremely exciting. Um, we did, for Associates, a um, energy design review with a large international mining company involving um, over 50 people, 12 organizations. We actually reached out to uh, a number of innovative organizations who are focused on innovation, um, both in mining and general innovation, um, and achieved some very uh, excellent uh, savings in terms of like 25% energy, over 30% greenhouse gas. And um, so that that is really exciting. And that's still on the design phase. And now another one that we did previously is in the construction, but this one, um, you know, we're hoping we'll, uh, we'll move forward. So that's really exciting. In terms of electrification, for those who don't know about mining, um, you know, typically there's a lot of diesel. And um, so when you convert from uh, diesel uh, underground machines, so we're talking about our, they call them uh, LHDs, load haul dump trucks, uh, your haulage trucks, uh, even your bolters, your drills, all those kind of, they call mobile fleet equipment that are typically diesel. When you electrify them, just like having an electric car instead of your gasoline car, um, then there's a few things that happen. Uh, so first of all, your uh, electricity costs go um, down because the number one uh, consumption underground is uh, ventilation. Mm. So your ventilation is usually related to the um, emissions from the diesel vehicles, which of course are um, removed for, for electric. So that means your ventilation requirements go way down. Um, also, uh, there's a lot of heat that come off uh, diesel vehicles. So um, underground, if you go far enough, it actually becomes uh, very hot all year round. Mm. And so you need to have cooling even, cooling plant, chilling plants underground potentially. And so you can reduce that chilled load, um, the cooling load, uh, because you're having to have less heat coming off the electric vehicles. There's also a huge safety benefit, right, in terms of emissions. Right. There's less maintenance, just like your electric car has less maintenance, your electric heavy-duty equipment has less maintenance, um, less, yeah, anyways, less sound. I, there's, it, I could just go on. It's, it's amazing, the, the benefits. So that was one project. Um, should, yeah. I'll, I'll pause here. Well, yeah, I was just one follow-up question that, I mean, to, to, to displace that much dense energy, right? So diesel is a dense energy form. To displace that with electrification, you know, all these benefits, but where, I mean, do they have the connection to a um, transmission or distribution system that allows them to do that? Or, or does that just mean that the diesel that used to be underground is now, you know, above ground and, and generating electricity? Like, how does that piece work? Yeah, no, I mean, it would be site specific and there are currently to date very few um, sites that in the world that honestly are uh, okay. already electric underground in the client that I'm working with does have a uh, grid connection that they can they just run cables down underground. So it'll be clear uh, clean Ontario electricity. Um, so there's a huge greenhouse gas uh, mission there. There will the diesel's not going to be there. Okay, so cool. um, yeah, that's very exciting. Excellent. And and let's pivot. So you're doing some work on the institutional side, um, and and you know I want to respect your your confidentiality, but I'm I'm curious what you're seeing in terms of so on the industrial side, it's it's safety, it's economic, those are the drivers. On the institutional side. I'm thinking specifically of higher education. Um, what what is the role of the student body as it relates specifically to energy management? Are you seeing pressures being applied by student you know bodies onto the leadership of the university that ultimately make their way into the energy profile? Are you seeing that? And I, I've I've been starting to hear and come to terms with 
that reality for you know university leadership are, are you seeing a, a similar impetus when you're out and about with with institutionals like that i think it's starting i mean in in general um the there's a number of, of pressures for all organizations there's um well for others investors i don't think that's so much necessarily for universities but um and then consumers which in your in the case of institutional yes is is basically the students right so um typically uh we're dealing with sort of director of facilities or director of energy or vice president of sustainability. Um, and they are usually getting their direction from the head of the university president or whoever it is. Um, and so I haven't heard a lot if it's the students who are pressuring the president, but the pre it's usually the presidents who are making those calls. And um, there's a lot of different, uh, I guess, um, contracts and, and agreements among universities in terms of trying to get their mm -hmm. carbon down. So I think there is even some competition between uh, universities. There's uh, green, uh, the green index for universities worldwide and, um, you know, which Canadian universities can get to the top in terms of um, globally and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think there is some student, but there's definitely other pressures um, that the presidents of the university are definitely Im imposing saying hey this is important that we have a net zero carbon strategy for example okay yeah i, I asked because i was in Feb i've been hearing it but then in february i was at the uh, in international district energy association's campus energy conference which is predominantly universities and you'd hear people talk about stories of you know student bodies doing sit-ins in the chancellor's office you know saying we're not gonna we're not gonna leave until you you know do this or do that and i I just I had a new appreciation for you know leadership in that space and 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 the the customers that they are seeking to serve right so uh, it's it, it's it's something that the industrials you know face perhaps in a different way but um, let's uh, on in the energy space what what's your view um, as far as the role of of different levels of government and you know whether that's you know incentives whether that's driving policy or standards um, you know is a what's what's your view of their role and b you know what's working what's not working in that space sure so i mean in the energy sector it's also you know it's clear it's kind of a political bomb almost right now especially in uh, in ontario energy is a um a very difficult uh file it's extremely complex so um in terms of government role um I think it's really important that they're not too hands-on, mm. so that they're actually relatively hands-off, set the high-level direction, and in particular with, for example, the electricity side, let the IESO, if it's an Ontario Independent Electricity System Operator, or if it's AESO, the Alberta one, or whichever equivalent, basically, uh, independent system operator, um, do their job, because they typically have the engineers, they have the technical knowledge, which the political staff don't, typically, um, it might not be well known to the um, listeners that uh, engineers are not very um, well represented in politics. Mm -hmm. So that is something that Ontario Science Professional Engineers, OSPE, we um, are looking to try and get more engineers involved in politics because there's a lot of these decisions that are really important in terms of policy being made that are um, not including the voice of the engineers. So um, again, that sort of hands off from a sort of do the high level direction and then let the more technically minded who understand how complex the energy system and all of the interactions and interactive effects that are extremely complex really cannot be made by by political leaders. So um, I think that's um, really important. Again, um, that whole idea of um, incenting the outcome that you want rather than picking technologies, uh, again, is sort of another important theme. Um, and then providing incentives um, that makes sense, right? In the past, uh, the there was some incentives that went against the greenhouse gas reduction um, targets. So just cohesively within the whole government, making sure that the different departments are um, going towards the same goal. Mm. Are there are there you know initiatives or you know incentives right now that you know those listening might want to you know pay attention to ones that you're kind of excited about either that are here now or are coming down the pipe. I think you mentioned the low carbon um, fund. I'm not sure I got the name right, but are, are there things that are, you know, exciting you right now on the, on the government funding initiative side? 
to be honest, unfortunately, there, there's not a lot um, of new things going on. It's actually kind of a uh, uh, scary uh, environment right now because all of the programs that have been in place for the last uh, five years on the electricity side, at least, um, are ending at the end of this year. Um, so, and right now, there has been no signal whatsoever as to if any programs will be replaced, what they will. There are kind of um, rumors and some indication that any programs um, that would go ahead will be more focused on demand reduction because um, there is a surplus of um, electricity in, uh, again, I'll, I'll use Ontario just as a, an example. Um, it can apply to different provinces. Uh, each one has a very different, um, I guess, statistics related to this. But uh, so in many hours of the year, there's, there's actually too much electricity. Um, but then uh, during the peak, then we can have some uh, situations where we don't have enough. And so that's why they're looking to incent just peak uh, demand reduction. Um, on the natural gas and other fossil fuel side, um, definitely would like to see more um, in terms of, you know, uh, increasing that 100K limit to at least a million or why not align it with the 10 million on the electricity side, right? Um, especially because natural gas conservation and efficiency is aligned to our GHG goals more than electricity, yeah. to be honest, given that it's so clean in, in the certain provinces that it is. So um, really ramping up the, um, the natural gas efficiency and other fossil fuel efficiency programs or complete reduction, yeah. Yeah, and I don't follow it as closely perhaps as I should, but we were hoping that there would be um, some new initiatives, I think at the federal level with the upcoming budget, which obviously everybody's working on much more important things, but there was some hope that there would be some stuff that would come out of that, right? Or, or, or what did I mishear that? Yeah, I think there there is, but there hasn't, to my knowledge, hasn't been anything announced. So mm -hmm. I think um, due to COVID, uh, et cetera, we have to um, just kind of wait at this at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I want to take our conversation in a different, albeit related direction. But before I do, uh, is there anything else from an energy management perspective that, you know, we have not uh, covered in our time together so far that you're thinking, oh, man, why didn't we talk about that yet? Or, or I'm dying to, dying to share this story or that story. Here. Sure, maybe just two points. Um, I talked about some of the great things my clients are doing, have to keep them confidential. Unfortunately, sure. one client I actually haven't worked with, but I think is a real leader that I just want to give it shout out. I'd love if they decide to hire me sometimes, that would be great. But um, it's, it's actually 3M because 3M uh, is very much known for their innovation. Um, they were recognized last year uh, for an award of excellence at the Clean Energy Ministerial, which is the global kind of leading conference for championing ISO 50001. I think they have about 30 sites um, certified. And so they really take that whole um, sort of good management approach to energy and they hit They've been doing this for, I don't know, 30 plus years, no matter who changes in this management, um, they set aggressive targets, they meet them, and they and again, aggressive targets, so they have these five-year targets that they just keep, you know, refreshing and hitting, and, and so it shows that it is possible to continuously improve. I think that's really important. Some energy managers think they'll work themselves out of a job, and uh, so I wanted to tell them, you know, keep working, there's always new technology. Um, and the other bit, just last thing I want to touch on is through the OSPI, so Ontario Society of Professional Engineers, um, the, uh, we've put together a report called Retail Electricity Pricing Reform, and it addresses both um, reduced electricity um, costs and reduced greenhouse gas emissions. So uh, if anyone has more information about that, I encourage them to go to the Energy Task Force of the Ontario Society of Professional Engineers and learn more. But uh, we are trying to get a pilot project right now with a local distribution company and are also meeting with uh, government and um, ISO and OEB, Ontario Energy Board, to uh, try and move that forward. So we think that that could be a solution. It's kind of the opposite. Global adjustment tries to reduce the peaks. What we're suggesting is in, uh, independent of global adjustment is, is actually to fill the trough. So those times when you have surplus um, electricity, uh, the idea was to be offered cheaply. And so those electric vehicle car owners and others um, can get access at a really cheap price and you have more users. So your base costs um, are spread out over more people. And so it goes down overall and you can offset natural gas heating by having smart furnaces. And I won't go into all the details, but check out the report for more. Is that, is that, uh, is that online on the OSPI website? 
Yes, it okay. is. We'll we'll uh, we'll try to get the link in the show notes there. Um, so yeah, th- thank you for that plug. That's good. And and 3M, yeah, we think very highly of them. We've worked with them over the years. Um, done some energy management, some CHP. Um, we should uh, Thorn Associates and CEM should team up and and uh, we we know the uh, one of the quite a senior uh, leader on the energy management file internally. So we'll we'll take that offline. But uh, no, that's good. Thank you, Emily, for your thoughts on. Uh, energy management. It's clearly a space you're passionate about um, and a space that you have excelled in and know a lot about. So this, this, that, that part's been fun. Where I want to go next is um, another area that I think you're um, certainly focused on and passionate about. It's an area that I uh, am desiring to um, learn more about it in my kind of own leadership journey. So I, I'm excited about, you know, talking about, you know, women in the energy space, but in the technical space, in the business space, wherever this goes. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, before I say too much, I'm just going to kind of let you talk a little bit about uh, your views on this and, and maybe your, some of your experiences and then uh, and then we'll see where it goes. Sure. Yeah, um, definitely. So, um, I mean, in terms of energy efficiency, Efficiency Canada has some great resources and they're off uh, from memory. I believe it's um, 80, 82% of the energy efficiency workforce is, uh, is male. Mm. So uh, in Canada, so um, only what's that 18% are, are women. So um, we're definitely a, a minority. And um, I really loved actually, Matt, uh, I can see that you're already uh, very, uh, you know, pro diversity because you mentioned oh and uh, in one of the examples oh the woman who is the mm-hmm. like director of utilities or something and that is really important when uh, in terms of inclusive language and showing right. i try to do that when i teach is to say oh the cfo she etc or the plant manager she and, and introduce some of those and th- those languages uh change just small subtle are really important mm-hmm. please yes. no one use man hours use person hours and um you know that's really important those little language things actually make a really difference in terms of someone feeling welcomed or not right and uh, can really make a difference and um, you know a lot of people talk about the young women coming into the field um, and get you know go get into engineering get into um, maybe even the construction related to energy management etc that is all of course important that sort of pipeline but actually if you look at the statistics and catalyst is a great uh, resource by the way um, they show that what's happening is it's actually mid-career uh, women who are um, the ones, you know, dropping out a lot. And so um, we founded Step Up uh, to a nonprofit dedicated to breakthrough and energy management um, through putting gender equity at the heart of Canada's transition to a low-carbon economy um, to look after kind of the mid and senior level women, you know, those women at the director level, vice president level, who are trying to get into president C-suite board positions and help them because um, there are a few role models, but not too many. And um, they are the ones who really need also sponsorship. So I'd actually love a shout out to any, you know, senior decision makers, yourself included, Matt, and others um, out there, uh, mostly men and some women as senior decision makers, you know, try and do more sponsorship rather than mentorship or not rather but in addition mentorship is important but what's the difference well sponsorship is really about giving a recommendation opening a door to a new opportunity when the woman is not there saying you know behind closed doors hey this person this woman would be a great uh, person to go for this new assignment um you know making introductions to other senior levels or potential new clients so again, needing more sponsorship. Um, the other thing is, you know, taking a chance on female entrepreneurs, um, women-owned businesses, procuring their energy engineering services. Um, there's a pool of talent from small businesses in general, but I think to succeed as a women-owned small business um, is even harder. And um, you know, so to the big companies out there, you know, take a risk. It is a risk, of course, um, procuring with a smaller company. But there's lots of benefits in terms of innovation, in terms of flexibility, agility. Um, you know, all those kind of things that um, Thorn Associates is actually part of Artemis. Artemis is a uh, collection, a nonprofit of um, women-owned um, businesses in the mining uh, supply sector. There's 35 businesses and uh, Artemis comes together and um, as a collective and um, to 
uh, help promote actually revenue. There's like sales uh, coaching and um, helping uh, the Women on the Move is the organization that runs it to get us into the C-suites of mining companies as a collective. And we present, you know, from HR to software, like mining scheduling to energy to carbon, uh, you know, climate change to, to general sort of, um, yeah, again, HR or financial issues. Um, so that's been really uh, helpful. Mm -hmm. so, so Step Up as an organization is created to, did I understand correctly? I think what you said was it's created to help um, ensure that women play a big role in our transition to a low carbon economy. Did I get that right? Correct me if I didn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and basically, it was very interesting because I had it in my in my heart, and, and but I didn't know I didn't have the facts, and I've just got the facts. So in my heart, I knew that if we got more women into leadership roles, that our um, performance in the energy management industry, which could be argued is not only energy costs but greenhouse gas reductions, right? If that our performance in terms of greenhouse gas reductions, water intensity reductions, energy intensity, all of that would follow by having a more diverse perspective. And actually very excitingly, just uh, I think it was last week, there's a new report out by FP Analytics in the States, but it has global data on women as levers of change. And the report shows, and I don't want to get the statistics wrong, so I won't quote it, but I don't know, 60% or something difference between uh, at the board level, gender diversity in five years of those who are able to improve the board diversity, improve their energy intensity, significantly improve their water reduction and their GHG intensity. So I now have the facts that my sort of hunch was, was correct. Yeah. So start, step up is kind of about that. And we try to act as a hub or giving women the toolkit to accelerate their career and being inclusive. We want Matt, we would love for you or other people at CM Engineering to come out to some of our events um, in terms of we went to N-Wave um, as a as sort of field trip, so educational. We do professional development. We've just um, on our LinkedIn page advertised there's board training um, that's actually only $6 right now for a primer series for uh, learning about becoming on a board. So you learn about a board resume. I didn't even know it's, it's different than your professional resume. Mm -hmm. And okay. how to do a board interview, which again is yeah, a difference. So that can be of a, a value to men and women alike. And as I said, we're we're actually recruiting for male, ideally board members. We have a number of female with certain um, profiles, so we'll be announcing that shortly. Hmm. Um, again, all our events are open to men and women, and because we think it's really important that men um, get that access to training on diversity inclusion as well, because um, yeah, that's that's really important that all of us understand. Yeah, and and I, you know, in my experience, I think having it's almost like you have to have kind of two approaches to what you do. You have the side of equipping women to succeed, but speaking from a male perspective in a leadership capacity, you have to, you know, you, your your distinction between mentorship and sponsorship, and the practicality of what does that look like. I mean. If, if I take only that away from this podcast, I'm better off, right? And so to have that type of messaging that is, I think everybody understands, you know, that it's something we need to do. I think, I think to your point, the stats of the results bear out the gut feeling. That's important. But I think the next level is tactically, you know, here's what that means. Like I, I'm a big Sheryl Sandberg fan, right? And so she's got the, the lean in book, right? And what I love about that book is, you know, there's practical stuff in there. There's there's actionable stuff for men and for women to say, you know, well, what happens when you have a meeting and there's food on the table? Who cleans that up, right? Those kind of things and and looking and the and the whole awareness piece, uh, I think is really important. So that that's exciting that that's what you guys are, um, you know, focusing on. Kind of that, that might might be hard to focus on both, but I think there's a, a, a distinct emphasis one way and the other, right? Because you're you're tailoring it to the audience, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So are there, you know, stories in your career arc or people that, you know, have helped you kind of with that sponsorship piece or like what does that look like for you personally, if I may ask? Yeah, definitely. Uh, one of my large clients, again, just for confidentiality, I don't want to sure. reach out. He's a he's a private person, but uh, has been an amazing sponsor in my life and open and again, took risks. Very large company took risks to hire uh, Thorne Associates. And I think it's, the results have definitely proven that it was uh, 
very good risk to have taken in terms of the reward. Um, but, you know, I think uh, that person has been a fantastic sponsor. I think one person I can mention by name is, is John Feldman Morna, a bit of a mentor and a sponsor role. So John Feldman, he's a senior technical officer at the uh, ISO, so the Independent Electricity System yep. Operator. Great you know, guy. he's yep. always available. He is, right, always available to help, uh, providing another perspective, very encouraging, positive. Um, and it also kind of... Uh, shows the importance of always being kind and respectful to everybody because you never know, you know, where they'll end up. John has actually been my boss. He's been my client. He's been my partner in multiple projects. He's a co-certified energy manager instructor. So, I mean, he's played pretty much, you know, many roles in, uh, in my life. So, Don't yeah, shout out and thank yeah. yeah, and a shout out to him and uh, again to my sponsor who he knows who he is. And um, But I've actually had fewer than I would have loved. I would encourage, like, he's... You can't really go up and say, hey, can you be my sponsor? That doesn't really work. But um, offering value um, to, uh, to sponsors, I mean, in terms of role models, Annette Vershuren, she's the CEO of NR Store, an energy storage right. company, yeah. uh, former president of Home Depot Canada. So she led, I don't know how many, like tens of thousands of employees previously. She's received the Order of a Canada. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I'm hoping... <laughs> Maybe she'll uh, she'll consider uh, sponsoring or mentoring me one day, but uh, yeah. but I've uh, tried to you know listen to her podcast and um, met her on a few times when she's been speaking. She's a real um, inspirational person, and uh, Diane Sachs is another um, inspirational person. Diane Sachs is a former environmental commissioner of Ontario, yes, uh, a lawyer by trade. She now runs Sachs Facts, um, which really is trying to get out the right facts in this in you know in our world where unfortunately there's a lot of um untruth shall we say and uh, diane really um provides some important information um regarding sort of the environment and greenhouse gases and stuff and so it provides some really important services in her uh, capacity cool. as an environmental commissioner and 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 those are great examples, and it's important to make sure they get the the airtime that they've earned uh, for sure. And and I guess just to go back to where we started on this conversation, um, your concern or your gut feel of where this problem needs to be tackled is not necessarily on the, you know, uh, getting you know more uh, people, more women into you know studying you know technical fields or even the early. Your your concern is you know, five, 10 years out and, and 20 years out in that band, right? That's, that's really, are there, I mean, maybe there's some obvious things, but speak to why you think that's the, the challenging piece and maybe one or two things. I think you talked about sponsorship, some other things that we can be doing to hit that, you know, head on. Sure. Well, yeah, sort of in the 10 to 20 uh, plus years, but especially in that 10 to 20 years, um, biologically, that's when women have children. Right. And uh, so um, that is uh, a critical time. Um, I don't know for other people, but for me, you know, having, I have three children, uh, twins uh, who are six and an eight-year-old. Wow. Um, so <laughs> yeah, keeps me busy. And um, anyways, you know, it really makes, I think having children makes crystal clear your priorities, what's important. And, um, you know, for some, that might mean um, dropping out their career. For me, it was really important. I saw, you know, how the world needs to be changed. And I said, yes, I'm going to be devoted to my kids. But also, it's so important that we get this right in terms of the health of um, people and the planet and, uh, you know, reducing pollution, GHGs, et cetera. So um, really saw that as really important. And so I think in terms of how to go about helping um, while this whole um, COVID has made work from home uh, more easily do it or may force some companies who maybe didn't want to do it, right, to do to show that it's possible. So now no one can really say that in many cases it is possible, right? So when, when it's possible, um, you know, working from home can be more efficient and effective um, than in an office in certain circumstances, generally when the kids are at school, not when they're running around <laughs> behind you, but a true working from your home office when the kids are in school, um, it can be very effective. And, um, you know, also, again, people talk about work-life flexibility. Okay, what does that look like concretely? Because that word is way overused. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's about... Um, being able to juggle your commitments and your meetings to be able to go to the kids dance recital or, um, you know, if they, I don't know, medical appointment or whatever. And I think the key piece here is actually to be involving the fathers. 
Mm-hmm. So uh, my husband is 50-50. We, we really, we look at, okay, who's meeting is more important to, you know, if a kid's sick and, and right. it's hard choices, but that's really um, what it comes down to and uh, very equal uh, on the household chores as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I think just uh, really making sure that the, that lot of qualities at home is going to really help that work as well. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, it's like any, like any, like any tough, you know, brokering, honest conversations, whether that's in the context of a, of a you know, a, a relationship or as a leader, right? Like, how can we have an honest conversation with, you know, both the team member that might be taking, you know, parental leave or maternal maternity leave or those who are, um, you know, not and, and are still working, right? Because there has to be a, a teamwork atmosphere of, okay, I'll, I'll cover for you when you have a sick kid or, you know, but we need to create environments where those conversations can happen with, you know, authenticity and with, with honesty. And, and that's hard, right? It, it takes vulnerability. It takes, you know, a bunch of different stuff, right? So, um, you know, that's maybe another actionable step for, for leaders is to figure out and, you know, what do those conversations look like? How do we open the door for them? Um, because there's probably a lot of hesitancy around making, you know, family focused decisions um, in a broader, you know, employment context, right? So, um, yeah, thank thank you for sharing uh, that piece of it and 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 what that looks like. So, um, Step Up has a website. You can we can go look for it and figure out how we can get tied in. Uh, so it's just a brand new organization. Oh, we have oh, a LinkedIn oh. page. Yeah, okay. it's just brand new, about six months old. Yeah. Oh, hey, cool. So um, <laughs> yeah, so we have a, a LinkedIn page right now. If you search Step Up Energy, um, then you'll find it. Okay. Um, but our website is actually under construction right now. So hopefully in about a month, uh, we should be launching our website. But yeah, the best way is through the LinkedIn page for now to keep uh, abreast of our our, um, events. We did, because of COVID, have to uh, postpone um, our event that was supposed to be happening in a couple weeks, but um, that they will be resumed in person once once this difficult time passes. Yeah, Uh, well, that's great. I'm glad that you could uh, um, share about that piece. I'm glad we had a chance to uh, discuss it and and unpack it. Um, And uh, kind of in closing, Emily, any kind of closing thoughts or closing reflections? And, and then, you know, where can people find you and, and how can they connect with you uh, if they want to talk about Step Up? You, you already shared that, but with Thorne Associates, uh, I'll give you a chance to kind of close things up here. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Thorne Associates, uh, you can reach us um, at our website. So thorn.ca, so that's T like tango, H-O-R-N, like november.ca. So thorn.ca and just go to the contact us page. So that's where you can reach us. Um, and uh, yeah, just encourage any industrial companies or large institutional um, to reach out if no matter where. Um, they on the energy journey, whether beginner or much more advanced, there's always more you can do in terms of energy management. And although it's really important up front, it is an ongoing um, process for sure. And I just encourage everybody as well to look personally at what you can do. So um, again, Diane Sachs, the Environmental Commissioner of Ontario, um, she had her office put out um, information on, on the average Ontarian's carbon footprint. Uh, which is actually about half, or just over the majority, is made up of only four things. So if you are uh, living in Ontario, then your top four, if you're an average Ontarian, um, carbon footprint is your driving, uh, home heating, flying, and eating beef. I'll just say that again, driving, home heating, flying, and eating beef. So um, what I've tried to do, our family, we have an electric car. Um, we purchased through Bullfog Power 100% uh, renewable natural gas, our home heating, um, we just purchased, just started actually this year, um, our flying, we flew to Florida as a family in January, and uh, we offset that, so we purchased a carbon offset from less.ca, the Air Canada's official uh, carbon offset provider, and although we're not going to become vegetarian um, at any time soon, anyways, we are trying to eat more uh, non-meat alternatives. So uh, just again, um, keep up the great work, everybody uh, who's listening um, in terms of at your businesses. Um, but then also think personally uh, what you can do. And we are always uh, trying to, to strive to do more. 
Well, Emily, thank you. Thank you, especially for leaving us with that personal challenge. I think that's, uh, for me personally, convicting uh, and challenging, and I hope for our listeners it is as well. Um, thank you so much for joining us. It's been, uh, yeah, been a delight to get to know you as an individual and your business and what you stand for, and uh, I hope our, our listeners will feel the same. So uh, thank you for, for joining us and carving out uh, time out of your busy day uh, to be part of the podcast. Thank you uh, so much, Matt. Thank you to Lisa uh, Barber, who also uh, provided this opportunity, and uh, to CM Engineering. It's been my pleasure, and I look forward to hopefully uh, collaborating in the future. For sure, for sure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Energy Radio. This was episode 24 with Emily Thorne. A special thank you to Mark Charbonneau, our man behind the glass, making us look and sound good, and Lisa Barber, our executive director. Uh, until next time, uh, I want you to, uh, to look at your energy and uh, figure out how as an individual you can use less. Take care. Stay healthy. <laughs>